Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit mofad.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to The Front Burner with Jimmy and Andrew, where we serve a weekly menu of industry commentary based on what the market has to offer. I'm Andrew Friedman from Toklan.com. I'm Jimmy Bradley from The Red Cat. Michael Bauer, the San Francisco writer, had a piece on SFGate website recently in which he took a look at the topic of restaurant reservations. Bauer's argument was that reservations are a privilege, not a right, and should be treated that way. Uh, In the article, he talks about no-shows, people booking multiple reservations and making last-minute decisions, and so on. He also chides restaurant patrons who are late for reservations and restaurateurs who don't honor reservation times or fail to make it up to diners when they aren't able to. The whole thing got us to thinking, there's an unfortunate divide between restaurant patrons and restaurateurs. Reservations, tipping, special orders, allergies, price value perception. The restaurant business works in ways that no other business does. And we thought we'd take today's episode to explain it a little from the chef owner side. That's you, Jimmy. (laughs) And I'll, I'll be representing the patron... Side of things. I have a feeling I'm going to get yelled at. Today. No, 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 no. By me? Never. Well, well, if you're the guest. Never, never. Uh, it's either that or you're going to tell me I'm great, and that hasn't happened yet. So so anyway, for industry listeners, this might be a cathartic rant from Jimmy. Uh, for those yes, of you on... I, I apologize in advance. For those so. of you in the, who work in kitchens or behind a podium, and uh, restaurant patrons, consider this a view from the other side of things uh, and, and what the issues are. Um, you know, when people aren't able to make you happy. Um, so, Jimmy, let's first take on this. You know, this was an interesting piece that Michael wrote, I thought, uh, on SF Gate. His whole argument and the underpinning of it, and really what got you and me to thinking and wanting to do this episode, was, you know, the the restaurant business is a, is a unique business. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in many ways, we've, we've talked about it. You have that phrase, you know, it's a curtain-go-up business. In other words, it's like there's a showtime every day. The show goes on. Come hell or high water. With or without. However yeah. many people call in sick, sick whatever didn't show up. or happy or hurt or... Uh, but there, you know, at the same time, unlike a show, there, you know, there is this... Um, yeah, when you don't go to a show, you still pay for the show. Well, there is that, which will bring us to the <laughs> reservation topic. But there are all these things about a restaurant, right? There, the, the, the whole... It, the food, you know, the fact that food is perishable, the fact that yes. you're doing multiple seatings of what would be the audience to yes. a theater... Uh, the fact that you're yeah, you orchest- never you never have three seatings on the same flight, right? right? You're you're orchestrating a front of a house, the dining room, and the back of the house, the right. kitchen. Used to be you could check into a hotel at noon. Now you got to check in at three o'clock because it takes them three extra hours to get those rooms clean. You right, know? that doesn't happen in the restaurant business. There's a there's a grace period in every other business, as far as I can see it right now. The only People strange. The, the, the two strangest groups of people are the restaurateurs and the florists because they've decided to buy and sell things that go rotten. That are perishable. <laughs> yes. Right. Gives you a very small window with okay. very small margins. So this is a good segue to the first piece we wanted to talk about. Let's talk about this thing that Michael wrote. Reservations. So um, 
If I just throw it out broadly to you, in the year 2017, what, what's the matrix of decision-making and um, um, adjustment that goes on on the restaurant side where reservations are concerned? How to, in terms of how people make them, in terms of how you know how many to take, and in terms of how you deal with the, um, uh, uh, this sort of ever-changing dynamic of no-shows and cancellations sure. and whatnot? Sure. Well, right. Every business is different. Just because we, we prepare food and sell alcohol, just like every other restaurant, um, we're going to do it differently. We're going to have our own... Uh, our own style but in that there's a timing like if the show goes on every show is choreographed or syncopated so you know we we study our guests and then we make up something that's an index for what's good for the business and good for the guests like in other words two people dining usually don't take as long as four people dining usually don't take as long as six people dining two people are usually engaged in service much more than six people are being engaged in service because four of them won't be paying attention you know things like that so uh, a table of two might be allocated an hour and a half whereas a table of six would probably be allocated two hours and that's the time we assume that people are going to spend on the table and that assumption is our best guess from being um, a participant in the industry and studying it on a daily basis. Okay. And the different ways people can make a reservation with you is what? That you guys are uh, on open table? Well, again, everybody's different. Um, lots of operators who, who subscribe to open table only just use open table. Um, and in open table, there's a seating chart in it, and you can do it all online. On the restaurant tour side? Yes. Yeah. Whereas I believe that... There's many ways to do everything, and the consumer knows there's many ways to buy the same product. So if, um, okay, let's say your internet's down, or, or you're just someplace where you're on your phone, and you want to call the restaurant, and the restaurant has an answering machine that picks up and says, go to open table, I, I think that's a potential lost sale. Right. So my view is that I'm always going to have a person and I'm always going to have a machine at the same time doing the same thing. I realize that that is what the machines aren't built for and there's inefficiencies there. But people aren't machines and the restaurant business isn't supposed to be run by machines. Right. So, um, you know, and like I mentioned, the, the, the seating chart. A seating chart is how we map out the night. It's like uh, a coach's playbook, and all the players have to learn it, and you study it, and it changes all the time, and blah, blah, blah. Um, you mean changes all the time within the course of an evening? It changes all the time within the course of a day, and, and then each day, right? Right. Um, basically, in New York City, in the restaurant business, we are trying to sell each table three times a night, whether it's five, seven, or nine, whether it's six, eight, or ten. Um, the way we get to stay in business with the rising costs of rent and 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 cost of goods sold, food and beverages and labor is we can't operate like Europe. We can't get one turn. You know, we can't have people sitting on a table for four hours or or the majority of the people sitting on a table for four hours. We will perish just like the food that's four days old. We don't have a choice. Right. So um, I use a paper seating chart, not an electronic one, and I use a pencil and a piece of paper, and I show the kids what an eraser does. Right. And if this table is booked at 7, then it needs to be booked at 5 and 9. You know, um, we try to uh, build it in a linear way, you know, 5, 7, 9, instead of pick the 7 and then do the 5 and 9. Uh, and then comes... Um, 
you know, there's two, basically two different kinds of restaurants. There's uh, destination restaurants and and a, a, a neighborhood. More, a, yeah, well, not just neighborhood. I, I'm struggling for a title for it, but we'll use that for now. Destination restaurant would be a place that would be um, that people would go to not frequently. So full of tourists from out of town, first date restaurant. You know, a place you bring your parents to when they're visiting. Obviously, a place that you're not going to each and every week. You know, right. then you get a joint like the Red Cat, where I want to see you one or two lunches, one or two dinners. I want to see you a couple times a month. I really want to see you a couple times a week. Um, so those two differences um, add to the matrix. Right. So let's talk about this issue that Bauer was raising in this piece. Um, what What are you guys up against? Uh, and maybe speak, you know, more broadly, because uh, I think this piece maybe is not unique to each individual restaurant. And in terms of no-shows, Last minute cancellations. What, what what are the numbers on that, and what kind of challenge does that present to you as a chef owner? Um, well, you know, again, every business is different. Like even even an operator who owns several restaurants, and they might even be the same concept. They're all going to operate differently. Okay. You know? So, what are you up against? What are your like no show rates? Uh, well, uh, we're. We're a neighborhood joint, right? So we've always built in 30% of the book for walk-ins. Okay. So we're fortunate that we meet or exceed that on a daily basis. Uh, The unfortunate side of this is that we're experiencing um, a mid-30% no-show rate and have been for maybe four or five years now, three three or four years now. Consistently? Yeah, so does that factor into how you guys think about your reservation, like your, well, your reservation if, capacity? If 30%, does it assume at a certain rate of, of uh, cancellation? If 30% of a hotel was sold and they didn't arrive, they would still have the money. If 30% of a flight was sold and they didn't arrive, they'd still have the money. If 30% of a restaurant is committed and no one arrives, you've lost the revenue. Restaurants operate on somewhere between a 10 and 20% margin. That means for every dollar we make, we go home with, at best, 20 cents, usually more like 10 cents in New York City. So if we're losing 30% of our guests and we're operating on a 10% margin, the next thing that's going to happen is we're going to go out of business. Right. So I'm reading between the lines. I'm assuming that you guys do uh, accept more reservations than technically you would be able to take because you have a pretty four or five years of a 30 something percent no show rate you have a pretty high level of confidence not everybody who makes a reservation is showing up um yeah you know there's there's indicators let's say an easy one would be you know andrew friedman calls up and says can i have a party of eight at seven o'clock and we say um no so then andrew friedman goes on open table and books two parties of four <laughs> this won't go to the no show rate this will go to the the sneaky pete angle of andrew friedman has done that <laughs> and then arrive and say yeah we're the party of eight and we would say yeah we spoke to you on the telephone and we said we're not going to be able to accommodate you and you said well open table was able to accommodate you and said yes those will be two tables in two different sections of the dining room you know so it can get weird like that you right. know that that doesn't that's not speaking to the point you brought up but i'm i'm giving you other examples so um one of the best ways to defend against the uh no show is a human level 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you. I'm actually going to call you. This is the confirmation call. Yeah, like one of my favorite stories ever, Andre Sultner Lutes, you know, uh, number one restaurant when Zaga came out, number one restaurant in New York City for got to be, you know, whatever, 17 straight years or something. Um, when he had a no-show at the end of the night, let's say 11 o'clock at night, he lived upstairs, right? He and his wife ran the yep. restaurant. He would call you and he would say, hello, it's me, Andre. I'm here. We're almost done. I've just kept one person with me. We're concerned for you. We, 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 we understand you're probably not going to honor your reservation this evening, but we're just checking in on you to see if you're okay. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's, that was a passive-aggressive F you. you right, know? right. Um, but it's, it's, it's been going on forever. And that's a, you know, that was a restaurant that was the most sought-after reservation in New York City. Sure. And yet somebody would still not arrive. Well, I do think, I mean, I've witnessed this myself. I do think it tends to be worse in big city. In New York, it's, you know, very demanding customers, a lot of high rollers who are used to getting what they want. Right. Um, uh, but you do, There's, there is this sort of, um, I, I don't know what it is, almost this sort of willful ignorance that a restaurant is, a, all these things you're saying, a restaurant is a business, that of course there's going to be some kind of a, a ripple effect if I don't show up for a, a reservation I've made. Right. Um, uh, there seems to be no sense of the fact that there's um, this kind of Swiss watch of of an operation going on or, that or, you're messing up by not being, not fitting into it the way you're supposed to as a customer. It's not absent of malice. You're consciously hurting my business. Yeah. And no one thinks of it that way. I don't think so, it's conscious. I literally think people have, they don't understand well, how it affects know, a restaurant. I think certain happen. portions of it are conscious. If you go with the customers always right, <laughs> then right. some of those people feel as, well, let me finish the point that you brought up that I told a story over. You know, you, you we were talking about no shows and I, I was saying the best way for me is a, a, a personal approach. So I call you. Uh, you made a reservation four days ago. One of the things that bothers me about the reservation policy in, in other restaurants is you call and make a reservation and they tell you to call back to confirm it. That yeah. people still? I feel like I don't get asked to do that the way I used to. I, I don't... I, I don't. I'm not paying attention. I don't make that many reservations. Yeah. I'm, I'm a walk-in. That guest. was rampant at one point. It's, I'm pretty sure it probably still is. You probably yeah. just make less reservations. You know, I know I do. So anyway, um, instead of doing the confirmation calls a day or two out, I do them day of, which is a pain in the ass, right? Because when I lo lose you that day, when I call you that day and say I'm just checking, and you go, "Oh yeah, no, I'm so sorry, I forgot right. to call right. you." Yeah, no, there's no way we're coming. Um, you know, a certain, probably 30% do that. It's, it's probably the same percent that say, we're not going to join you as yes. just don't show. Yes. So I run an aggressive wait list. So if you call me to make a reservation and I have to say no, I say, listen, give me your name and your phone number and give me your wiggle room because you and me both know there's people that aren't going to show up. And this is where you are on the list. And I'll tell you right now, this is your percentage of me calling you back and giving you what you want. Yeah. And, you know, it's not, I'm not when I'm saying that to somebody, it's in the 10 and 20 percentile where I'm saying there's a 10 percent chance like you're in. It, it might not be at 715. Sure. It's by 745. Well, this is, you know, I for years have found it to be true that uh, and I've told people to do this. And I guess I'm telling people now to do it. You know, if you if there's a restaurant you really want to go to, I mean, not like a. 20 seat, you know, not like Masa or something like that. Right. But most restaurants, if you are willing 
and I'm talking even the hottest restaurants in town, if you were willing to show up and say, listen, we really want to eat here. Uh, we're going to park at the bar for about an hour. If you have a no-show, we'll take it. Yeah. I've literally never had that not work. Well, between that and seats opening up at the bar and them serving sure. you at the bar, there's a, there's a very significant chance. You know, as I explained to you, we're trying to fill the dining room three times, right? So the first seating, the bar's empty because the restaurant just opened, right? The middle seating, like 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock, when you think it's the most impossible hour because it is the most impossible hour to get a reservation. Oftentimes you can walk into a restaurant because they're in between seatings and the guests haven't arrived for the second seating to be taking up room at the bar. Or some table had one course and split. And the, and the table that the, 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 the preceding table is still at the table that you don't get up from the table and go to the bar usually after a five o'clock mm-hmm. or seven o'clock reservation. So to your point, oftentimes no, not oftentimes. Every single night, every single service, there's an in-between time when a certain amount of the guests from a certain seating are leaving and a certain amount are either arriving or haven't arrived yet. And at that time, that you, as a walk-in, you can really um, almost get what you want. So what do you think of this whole, you know, Nick Kakonis and Grant Atkins developed this talk program, this ticketing program. French Laundry just went on it. Right. Uh, and the idea is, you know, to, as we were talking about when you were mentioning these examples of airplanes and hotels, the idea is that they treat the dinner reservation like a ticket. Well, you've paid and up front. You pay up front and you For have... For the meal. The whole you, thing. And you have a ticket. Yeah. Right? Same so, thing as Broadway. Yeah. Well, I actually don't pay for alcohol, I assume. But... Um, but you paid, you know, for your meal, right? Um, what, what do you, is that something that you would want to see? Is that something that appeals to you? Is that something that seems workable on, the, on, the, on a large scale? What, what's your feeling about that whole system and the, and the philosophy behind it? Um, seems to me like a defense mechanism. Also seems to me that the only people that are doing it are the most prestigious, expensive, fine dining restaurants in the nation. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is all the airlines do it the same way. All the hotels do it the same way. All the shows do it the same way. None of the restaurants do it the same way. <laughs> and, and it's not because we don't want to. It's maybe because we're unorganized, but it's also because we're at a certain place with the guests where um, I'll get into that point in a minute. So um, um, if, if we could have these common... We all have the same common struggles. We all have the same common goals. You know, take care of our guests and make a little bit of money. You know, right? Uh, keep the restaurant full. Keep the staff engaged. Um, so we we're, we're all the same, but everybody does it differently. You know, there'll be a restaurant that says we don't take reservations. There'll be a restaurant that says we only take reservations. If somehow we could all do it the same, this would all go away. But there's no individuality in that, and it's hard to fully express yourself in that type. Well, it's also right that there are different. You mentioned that you know a lot of the places that are adopting this ticketing system are very high end. The other thing a lot of them have in common is their tasting format. Right. So but you I'm have just a, saying you have if more of a everybody sense, did it. It doesn't really matter. But you have matter. more of a sense of how long your party's going to be. Yeah, at listen, a table. There's, there's a two thousand dollar airline seat and there's a two hundred dollar airline seat. It's all the same shit. It's just they all do it the same way, right? And we don't. You know, right. you go to the theater, you sit in the orchestra, you pay more than when you sit on the balcony, right? You know. So yes, I'm just 
just saying there if there was a way for everybody to do the same thing that would cancel all this out what i want what i would like to see i would like to see some personal responsibility again in dining and really quite frankly in in the world you know this is the day and age where personal responsibility is a you're talking about from the customer side uh, yeah you know, I'm talking about if uh, it's basically a handshake agreement. Right. <laughs> you live up to that shit. It's a social contract. It's a social contract, yeah, you right. know. So, and w- right now the guests are the smartest guests we've ever had. You know, the 12-year-old kids asking me where my arugula is from. You know, right. like, sure. fucking love it. Just love it. Right. So why are they so smart that they pretend to not get it? You know, oh, yeah, I I wonder why my favorite place went out of business when I used to no show half the time. You know, Um, there seems to be this disconnect in the dining public's mind that anything goes in the restaurant business for some reason. Yeah. On the on the beneficial side of the guests. Well, in some way, let me give you a for instance about this, this, this thought couple in, in the way I work is if. If there's any flack at the table, if there's any sort of uncomfortable nature, I say to the server, get out of there and get a manager, right? Your, your, your head is in the game to sell and to be hospitable. My head is in the game to defend you, period, right? That's what I do as a right. manager. Right. You know, I got your back. I set the whole thing up. I called the play. I gave you the playbook. Now I got your back. Get off the table. Tell me what's going on. I'll go deal with it. Could be as simple as you you spilled a cup of coffee on somebody. You know, it, it could be much worse. I have a nut allergy. I told you, and there's nuts in my dish. Right? You know, like, right, we're, right. listen, we're just people. We're gonna we're gonna screw it up too. Right. right. So uh, a couple weeks ago, cute little couple. Uh, sorry, little uh, young twenties, boy and a girl. And I'm I'm standing. I can see what's going on. I can't hear what's going on. And and. The waiter disengages the table. I look at the waiter's face. Come here. What the hell is that all about? Waiter said, those two people just asked for something for free. And I said, like, how? Like, what? Right. And they said, um, well, at this particular point in the meal, we're asking for something for free. And the waiter said, I don't understand. And the guest said, well, it's customary in this day and age with guests to give them whatever they want. And we want something for free. So we want to know what you're going to do for us. And this is halfway through the meal. <laughs> it's like, man, I can't even imagine being 24. Were these, these are first-time customers? <laughs> yes, and having enough balls right. to say that to right. somebody. I would expect to get smacked, you know. Um, so I walk over to the table. I engage them, and I assess the situation and the value of that guest to me and to the business and to my staff. And I say, I'm going to give you a little free advice. You're broken. That's broken. And you can leave right now. You know? I hate that shit. But, like, that's just an example of how odd the business is these days. Well, that's, I mean, that's an extreme story, but to me, but but I'm, to I'm, me, like, the whole dynamic in a way, it's sort of the, it's the unfortunate, you know, people who get in, everyone talks about, you talk to people who go into cooking or go into hospitality, you know, why do you do it? And you'll hear all the time, I love making people happy, yeah. right? Well, you guys are in the business of saying yes. Listen, mostly instant gratification. Yes, and all these cliches are true, right? Yeah. Like, you guys are in the business of saying yes and wanting to create memories for people and act, all this act stuff. Act for the audience. <laughs> you know? So I, I think, 
in some ways, in a way, this is all um, like a, I don't want to say it's a backhanded compliment, but it's sort of like the, unf- it's the incorrect extension of that um, it's the fourth ethos. wall falling down it's, on it's you. The, it's the incorrect <laughs> extension of that of that ethic, right? That these guys will do anything to make me happy, including not caring if I don't show up, including you know they did anything goes from the or, customer side. Or maybe it's just I'm right because I'm the guest. Or that. So let's t- uh, you know this does kind of dovetail, and we talked about it last week with Anita. We'll probably we'll talk about it next week. Amanda Cohen's going to be here, right. and she's a big advocate of it. Um, but, you know, this does, again, this also came up in the Bauer piece, for that matter. That, you know, the whole tipping yeah. thing does seem to be an ongoing yep. dilemma. Hey, listen, to me, it's simple. This is it. Restaurateurs want to pay their cooks with money that the waiters will be taking. That's the whole restaurateur battle over tipping. I come from the school that life ain't fair, you know, and that's just how it is. In the restaurant business... Cooks usually become sous chefs who usually become chefs who oftentimes become business owners. Waiters do not. They're in the game for some money and then they get out of the game. So the earning potential starting at a low rate and then maybe ending up opening your own business as a cook is as a matter of fact, but it's totally different than the economics of a server. I don't like that the cooks work harder and usually have, you know, or potentially have more pride in their work. Um, and our, their job is more demanding simply because it's a 120 degree room and they're in there for four extra hours a day than a server would be. But, you know, listen, this, this, these are, this is what it is. You know, I, 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 I am totally opposed to the tipping thing for one reason, and it has nothing to do with the real argument. As I said, the real argument is we're going to pay our cooks more money and we're going to pay our waiters less money. That's, 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 that's it. There's nothing more in there than that. The other side of it for me is when waiters don't work for tips, it's not a free market commerce and they're going to make the same money whether they do good work or poor work. And as we see in Europe, and as all the people that I know, like Eric Repair is leading the charge as somebody who grew up in that system. The system's broken. People don't try to excel in the system. Nobody really tries to do more than the next person. It's almost, it's like, it's halfway socialist it's half it's halfway communist in the sense that makes no difference we're all the same so we're going to treat it all the same so you get people that are great and fierce and want to excel and we're fired up and do great work and they're just defeated by it and then you get the people that show up and don't want to do anything and they love it like that that system there that wouldn't work anyway you know would that work in professional sports with there's a difference why everybody on the stage makes a different amount of money right and they're all just as important right you're, you're a great actor right you're a great movie star. You maybe make $20 million for a movie. The guy working the lighting, don't. Does the guy working the lighting just as paramount to your performance? Would your performance suck without proper lighting and music? Yeah. There's a disparity in wage for a disparity in service. Unfortunately, in the restaurant business, the servers are making more money. Uh, but it is the only way to push a, a, a type of thought that in a free market commerce, a free market transaction, the people that excel will make more money. Those people will choose to excel instead of choose to be, you know, listen, it's black and white and gray. Like, do you want to be gray? Does it, do you want everything in the gray area or do you want the black and white? You know, the black and white has definition. The gray has no definition. 
So I, I don't like that the cooks make less money than the servers. But hey, look, I'm a cook and now I own my own business. And, you know, I, I know every server that I ever worked with over the last 30 years. And most of them don't, you know. So. I mean, it's funny. I hear I, I don't know. I, you know, I hear you saying it. It sounds convincing. I've talked to people who believe in, you know, not having a tipping system and they make a, a really good case. Um I, I do feel like... Well, the problem with the tipping system is there's a price value uh, disparity that's wildly alarming. Like David Chang came out last year and he's like, listen, I charge $18 for a bowl of ramen. In a real market, I need to charge $27. But because all my competitors charge 18 I have to charge 18 It's what the market will bear. So $27 will make you the money you deserve to make to pay the people that, that work for you to, to money they deserve to make. But the guest won't come because they don't perceive the value. It's the Walmart approach. It's the Amazon approach. Amazon and Walmart are killing small businesses around the world. And no one gives a fuck because there's value associated with it. Do you honestly think the meat and the produce that you buy from Walmart is as good as the guy who goes to the market and hand picks it himself? And if you do, okay, fine. Do you honestly think that, that Walmart is treating the farmers and the fishmongers you know, fairly? No, they're right. not. So there's a huge problem with value and the perception of the value right so if we could charge the prices that we need to charge <laughs> we wouldn't be having this conversation because that money would just go to the cooks i want to pick up on this point but we're deep into the show and we haven't taken a break yet so we're going to take a quick one and we'll pick up right here when the front burner with jimmy and andrew comes right back Hi, I'm Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General Tso's chicken and egg rolls. But here's the thing. Even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine? And how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese-American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow, Making the Chinese-American Restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese-American cuisine. Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes, feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese-American chefs, and try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cookie machine. What better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to 6. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org. Welcome back to the front burner with Jimmy and Andrew. We've been talking about uh, the chef owner patron divide. But before we get back to that, I've just been handed uh, in in like old uh, Walter Winchell style urgency. Uh, hot off the press. Hot it's off the press. A- uh, this notice that I'm going to read now instead of at the end of our show. Are you a Heritage Radio Network member yet? Membership not only supports the production and broadcast of this show, but also comes with perks. All current members are invited to our new monthly happy hour series, Books and Brews. Join us on April 12th at Three's Brewing at Franklin and Kent in Greenpoint with host of Eat Your Words, Kathy Irway, and her new book, The Food of Taiwan. Meet other members, snag a signed copy of The Food of Taiwan, and enjoy some beer from 
HRN business member threes. And you can donate at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. That's heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to get your exclusive invite today. So please do that. Uh, was that all right, David? Thank you. I got the thumbs up. Uh, so, Jimmy, you were talking about value uh, or perceived value, right? Now, mm-hmm. what do you mean by this? You said that, that it's, it's a Mr. Chang thing. made this rev- reference to the fact that he should be charging, you know, for... if Like, if he well, had the same business, like, okay, so... Um, there's there's value stores or discount stores, then there's the regular stores, then there's the high-end stores. So, you know, a pair of jeans in each one of those stores is going to cost a different amount of money, right? We, you know that. So yes. The same thing could be said for restaurants, which is you can't think of it all the same. Restaurants a lot of times are thought of as all the same, especially like passing legislation and things like that. Um, but really, you can't think of it that way. So what... What like in other words, as a consumer, you can't compare an apple to an orange and expect it to to justify itself, right? So if if somebody like if my neighbor serves a piece of salmon for fifteen dollars as an entree, and I serve a piece of salmon for twenty five dollars as an entree, and you're comparing us, it's broken because what you have to know is the person who's charging fifteen dollars is buying inferior product. Mm-hmm. And representing it as though it's not inferior product, but you should already know that because if you look around, everybody's charging more people are charging twenty five dollars than fifteen dollars. Now, there's always the argument of, well, he has a smaller portion or they have a smaller portion. Sure. But really, they're different restaurants, you know, so a restaurant that's charging that, um, you know, is in effect like if a, if like there's there's the, the 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 beginning the middle and the end if the beginning and the middle are compared to each other they're not the same thing you know like a what is that that store uh, the, the cheap clothing like an H&M you know okay. you can't you can't really compare the quality of an H&M product with the quality of like a J Crew product with the quality of like a Ralph Lauren product right, right. they're they're totally different things but yet in the restaurant business, a lot of times they're not associated. So do you way. hear, like, do customers complain about prices? Do you hear that? Well, or potential customers? Yeah, I'll, I'll have guests say things like, like your your neighbors are cheaper than you. Why are you overpriced? And I'll be like, for reals? Like, that's the frozen salmon that's farm-raised and fed fake food and has no nutritional value right. at all. Right. And you you why are you pretending not to know that? And they'll be like, oh, yeah, of course. Uh, again, but why are you pretending not to know that? You know, like, how do you know it? Do you in the, really think they're pretending not to know that? How do they know it in the clothing industry, but they don't know it in the restaurant industry? How do they know the difference between a $1,000 plane seat and a $200 plane seat, but they don't know it in the restaurant industry? You know, yes, I do. I Well, again, you know. It's more than likely probably other costs involved. Malice. I think there's other costs involved that you guys don't, that customers don't perceive. Well, of course, you know. You but know like what it costs to have linens and what it costs to have, sure. uh, yeah, you it, know, I assume the other restaurant that you're referring to is probably not a restaurant that's, uh, uh, all other things are not equal, right? It's probably a more casual place than right. yours. They but, probably don't. But again, have as, you're comparing us. Co- yes. So you're not noticing the difference. You're not noticing that they have no flowers. You're not noticing they have no linen. You're not noticing right. I think customers that don't their, get that. Their plates are, you know, a dollar a plate, and my plates are 
$20 a plate. My knife is $8 and their knife is a dollar. You feel that. You see that. You know that. You you know it in every other industry. So why are you pretending not to know it in the restaurant industry? I don't industry? think people understand these things about your business. Oh, oh, I really don't. I'm, I'm not really arguing with you. My question is why? You know? Yeah. Do you go out to dinner more or do you get on an airplane more? I think it's the illusion that hospitality creates. I think there is this illusion that, you know, you are being welcomed into... Um, you know, it's it not, it's not someone's home, but it is there. It's a personal interaction, okay, so especially it, in a city like New York, right? right where there are people who eat so more th- meals this out. Is what than I they say have to my staff at home, they're coming to our show. We're throwing a party every night, and they're coming to our party. They're coming to our show. Yeah. Why are they coming to our party or coming to our show? Because they dig what they do, or they were told to dig what we do. It's our job to figure out the difference, you know? Right. So somebody who asks questions, they're there to participate. They kind of want to dig what we do. Somebody who doesn't ask questions is just there to be served, you know? They're, they're the people that go to the show and talk on their cell phone, you know? there's 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 The, the same type guest happens in, in all the same arenas. No? Right. Yeah. So let's talk for a minute. Another area that I think is, um, and I know a lot of cooks and chefs who find it very frustrating. I mean, I group the two things, and they shouldn't be grouped, but I think you do group them because a lot of, I think there's a feeling that there's some dishonesty involved on the part of patrons, is the, the allergy slash substitution issue. Right. Um, I've heard from a lot of cooks that they are, they really, obviously, I, I suffer, I have an almond allergy. It was just, sure. it was just, cropped up last year after my whole sure. lifetime of eating almonds. Well, you know, but I know because I... You I've, can't be allergic to parsley. So when you tell me you're allergic to parsley... This is what I mean. You're you just hear, lying to You me. hear that from people. Yeah. You're, what are some other things? Why don't you just tell me the truth? What are other things like, people say they're allergic to? Uh, onions and garlic. Uh-huh. Um, you know, this... The things that you can't be allergic to, or the things like no, the things you hear that you just know is is ninety nine point something percent not accurate. Usually, it's a, a flavor, a uh-huh. flavor enhancer, a fresh herb of one kind or another, or right. a certain flavor of one kind or right. another that has fennel seeds in it. Oh, you know, I don't like licorice. No, I'm allergic to licorice. <laughs> you know. Um, but, you know, listen, the allergy thing is serious business. Like, this isn't a joking matter. And it's, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that it is. Yeah, nor I, am I. I just, but people abuse just that, people abuse that fear. Listen, I don't like to be lied to. It's right. that simple. Right. Why don't you just be straight with me and I'll be straight with you? And the more straight we are with each other, the better our relationship's going to be. Right. So, well, like, you guys accommodate, uh, you guys will leave anything. stuff if it can be left out. You can't obviously take something out of a sauce that was made at eight you o'clock in the morning. You cannot add anything to a dish, but you can subtract things from dishes, with the exception of a special. If it's a special, you have to buy it as is. Yeah. If it's a menu item, you can never add anything to it. But you can take things out of it. Right. As, as my general rule of thumb. Right. And most restaurants ought to be able to accommodate that. Listen, it, hospitality, you know, right. it's, it's, a, it's a desire to meet somebody in an area that's friendly and generous and accommodating. You know, I had a great moment once years ago. I went to a, a, a restaurant that holds a few Michelin stars, and uh, they, I got the confirmation call. And they said, um, please let us know, you know, if there's anything you don't eat. And so when I called back and I got a, a machine and I said, uh, this was before my al- almond allergy was discovered, but I said, and I don't eat raw oysters. And when I came to dinner, the captain said to me, my understanding is you have an, uh, a, an allergy to oysters. And I said, no, I, I don't have an allergy. I said, I don't eat them. 
Right. And he looked at me. But that's raw. You eat cooked ones, though. Yeah, I just don't like raw oysters. Sure. I really don't like them. And he looked at it's me legit. kind of askance, and I said, they give me no pleasure. Right. And he looked at me again, and I said, it's about my pleasure, right? And it was a moment for him, because he looked at me, and he said, you know what? You're right. Yeah. You're right. And the way you said it is like, I would be like, come here, I want to give you a hug. <laughs> of course, well, it's about your pleasure. And then the I would have being, brought you a glass of sparkling wine. For okay, just so being, what about know. the allergy thing? This, to me, is something that has got, it's, I, I don't know, were there this many allergies when we were younger? I feel like there's so many allergies My whole career, now. we never had this conversation. Never. This is, and you know, quite frankly. No, but it is something you guys are hearing a lot more than you did, say, 15 years ago. Yes, absolutely. But also, you know, I'm I'm an inquisitive person. I, I like to I like to know things. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to keep developing. When I have this conversation with operators, and you know, everywhere besides the coasts, yeah. everywhere besides the major cities on the two coasts, no one else is having this conversation. So you mean they're not getting those. Uh, Restrictions coming back to the kitchen in other places? Uh, you know, the, there's not this gluten phenomenon. You know, the, there's a lot of things that people are making up as their needs, which are really their desires, which are totally different. Right. right? Um, yeah, the, it's, it's, it's wildly prevalent where we are, but it's not where... A bunch of the other nation is. Yeah. You know? What's that? What kind of? How much planning do you guys do around that kind of thing? Uh, in other words, uh, the playbook, right in the back of the house. We're, do you guys have way more sort of uh, uh, alternate preparations? Yeah, we don't have a desire to? to. Listen, you got a game plan. You either play your game or you play the other team's game. You play the other team's game. You're not playing your game. No, anymore. but is it part of your guys' matrix? Like, do you have a gluten free well, thing me, on the finish. on the menu? So. Our desire isn't to be totally rigid while still trying to maintain playing our game, right? So in order not to be rigid, you have to have secondary lines of defense or, or offense, yeah. you know? So plan A, plan B, plan C. Yeah, you're ready for it, you know? Um, I, you know, I don't have an example. I don't usually make gluten-free pasta, Um if it's a pasta special, you know, it's usually not on the menu. It's a pasta special. Like I said, we don't change the specials. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, like, then there's the trends. Like, you know, 10 years ago it was the Atkins thing, you know. Right. And now it's the, the gluten thing, you know. Uh, 10 years from now it'll be a soy thing. No, but is there know? the expectation now on the part of most customers that you all, you will... Someone walks into your restaurant, you're going to have be able to accommodate a vegan diet, or you're going to be able to accommodate a gluten-free yeah, diet. Yeah, but, you know, am I going to have five different kinds of milk and five different kinds of sugar? No. Why? Because I don't want to. Right. Period. Right. That's it. I draw the line, you know? So uh, if, if you're not going to come to me because I don't have coconut milk, and, and you say it to me as a returning guest as a returning guest, I'll get you the coconut milk. If you say it to me as a one-time guest in a threatening manner, (laughs) yeah, we're never going to have coconut milk. We're never going to make you happy. You know, there's no economics in trying to be all things to all people. That's Mm. the easiest way to fail. 
Right. Right off the bat. You have to do what you do and so, you have to do it well. That doesn't mean that you can't offer things that everybody wants. You know, my goal, my whole thought process is basically a friggin' catch twenty two. I never want anybody to think I'm all things to all people, but I do want you to think that I have exactly what you want. Right. Well, it's funny, you know, years ago David Chang, when he opened uh Sambar, had it on the menu very famously, you know, we do not we cannot accommodate uh vegetables vegetable, yeah. veg, you know, vegan or vegetarian sure. uh, diet. Like, it's just right. right there. And that, a lot of people thought that was almost borderline hostile at the time. Yeah. Uh, but that was where he drew his line. <laughs> so when he did that, I started a vegetable menu. Is that true? <laughs> Five dishes, just Is that vegetables. true? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. Okay. You know? well, <laughs> Come on, have a little fun with the game. <laughs> so the, the equilibrium uh, was Listen, maintained. One of the reasons why I made the decision isn't just about what the market is doing. Right. There's not enough fish left in the ocean, and eating animals isn't necessarily the best thing for you or the best thing for the planet. Right. So... In summation, why not serve some vegetables? Yeah. <laughs> why not celebrate the freaking vegetable? Right. So it was just a coincidence that was the timing, and I parlayed it into a little bit of, you know, me speaking about sure. it. <laughs> sure. But it didn't, my decision was about people and the planet. You know? Yeah. Uh, well, we're at the end of our time here, Jimmy. Thanks yeah. for kicking this around today. It was a good one. Uh, next week, uh, we're delighted to say we're going to have uh, Amanda Cohen of Dirt Candy here in New York come in uh, and kick around whatever's going on next week. And it, probably lambaste me over the and tipping take thing. you to take you to <laughs> take the woodshed for your yes. tipping views, Jimmy. Um, and we'll look forward to that. And uh, thanks to our engineer, David. David, thank you as always. Yeah. And uh, with that, I'm Andrew Friedman. I'm Jimmy Bradley. And we will see you back next week on The Front Burner with Jimmy and Andrew. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.